You know, I look around and uh, I feel like you're the postman. Through rain and sleet and snow, the mail must go through. And here you are. You're here. This is quite the atrocious weather. I'm trying to make this sound like it's really a lot of fun, but I, I just know most of us that live here, we're really, really ready for a little sunshine and a little bit of warmth. Well, you know what? Um, we have an opportunity in spite of the weather to be able to open up God's Word, to be able to look into the text, And let that Holy Spirit just massage us and convict us and encourage us and strengthen us in so many ways. I'm so glad you came. I'm so glad that you're able to worship with us, to adore God, and to do it with God's people. You know, the Gospel of John continues to motivate me and us. I don't know if it's just me, but but in my Bible, I now open it, and it just opens to John. I, I don't even need to even, like, thumb through it anymore. So it's, it's kind of, like, permanently there. And I think that's a good thing. It's week 25 of our series. And the Apostle John loved Jesus. He wrote this gospel because he wanted to make sure, especially I think there's some stories, including today, that aren't in any of the other accounts of Jesus. So this is exciting to to hear from an apostle that loved God and loved the Messiah, who spent time with him and really has the scars of following him, really does. John paints a picture of Jesus for us. The Son of God, the Messiah, the King, the Savior. We find that Jesus is passionate about restoring relationships with the religious, with the outcasts, with the disabled, those groping and struggling with the meaning of life and with life itself. Jesus offers water that will quench a thirst. He offers bread that will satisfy your hunger and light that will, well, illuminate your path and guide you and bring you comfort. No wonder John is enamored with Jesus. No one is like him. And what's so exciting is that literally at the end of his life, He is more passionate, more enamored with Jesus. That's not only my hope. However long God gives me on this planet, but actually that's my prayer for each one of you sitting in our sanctuary today, is that as you go on in years, you know, when you're 13 going to 14, I hope your 14th year you love Jesus more. And if you're 60, well, going to 61. I hope that you are so in love with our God. And if God gives you those 80, 
or 90 years, and at 91 or 92, that you are so much more in love with God during that time, hardly waiting to just be able to see him someday. Well, John had an agenda for the gospel, and his agenda was found in John 20, verse 31. And he said this, so that you might continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you'll have life by the power of his name. I hope this verse is becoming more and more real to you. I'm hoping that this verse absolutely grabs you an understanding how powerful the name of Jesus is. We sing songs about Jesus. We sing songs about the name of Jesus. And John understood this. So today, let's jump right into John chapter 9. Open your Bibles with me or your flat screens and and, uh, get over to John chapter 9. And we're going to jump into this together. And I've asked Kent to be able to read for us. It's a long passage. But I think it's a rich passage. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Or if you don't, you can look up at the screen as Kent reads for us. Thank you. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why is this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happens so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eye. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, No, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, Yes, I am the same one. They asked, Who healed you? What happened? He told them, The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So he went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind, could now see. So they called in his parents. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son, 
that he was born blind. But we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said, that, said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he is old enough, ask him. For the second time they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this, because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know where he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man came from. Why, that's very strange, a man replied. He healed my eye, eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born, born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to go back thousands of years and be able to um, look into your world and see how you treated people and see how people responded to you. We pray today, God, that you would open our eyes. We know that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. We know that you came to save sinners. We know that you are light and you are bread and you are eternal water. We know all those things that you proclaim sometimes to people who heard it for the very first time. But Lord, we want to understand all that you have for us today. Change us. Illuminate. Give us what we need today, God. May your spirit be so unbelievably active. Lord, we know that this weather has closed some churches. We know that it's really hard in some places to get together and to fellowship with other believers. We pray, dear God, that you would use this day, in spite of the elements, to bring yourself glory in all that happens. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, we find six characters in John chapter 9. I'm going to call it a drama. In fact, one of the passages that I love to use when I teach somebody actually how to study God's Word is John chapter 9. There are so many good things in it. There are so many people that are kind of hustling and bustling around. There's so many different responses to who Jesus is. And even though you're going to get a message about it today, it might be something that over this next week, you just might reread John chapter 9. And just ask God, what new thing do you want to teach me today? And I think you will be encouraged.
But this story is really important to John. The players are significant. And so I just think God has something very special planned for each one of us. We're going to look at each of these characters or people groups and see what God is doing. So the first one we're going to look at is the disciples. The disciples. They asked a question in the very beginning of this chapter. Why is this man blind? Well, it may seem like a rather simple question, but it's a question, honestly, that I think every one of us have asked. Not necessarily about blindness, but it may go something like this. Why is there evil in this world? Why is there disease? Why is there pestilence? Why is there starvation? Why is there cancer? Why are there accidents? Why are there deformities? God, if you're God, where are you in the midst of natural disasters, evil governments, and corrupt societies? Why are innocent people getting shot? What is going on? Our world just seems out of control. Well, 2,000 years ago, Um, the assumed popular Jewish thought at this moment was that anyone who had physical suffering, well, was a sinner. In fact, anything that was wrong with them resulted from personal sin. Therefore, the disciples saw only two explanations for his condition. Either the sins of this man made him blind or those of his parents had caused blindness. John MacArthur makes this statement, and I think it's actually brilliant. He says this, This does not mean that God deliberately caused the child to be born blind in order that, after many years, his glory should be displayed in the removal of the blindness. To think so would again be an aspiration on the character of God. It does not mean that God overruled the disaster of the child's blindness so that when the child grew to manhood, he might, by recovering his sight, see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, and others, seeing the work of God, might turn to the true light of the world." You see, God doesn't answer, excuse me, Jesus doesn't answer the where is God in the mess question. He answers what does God do with the mess question. God's sovereignty chose to use this man's affliction for his own glory. Each one of us, we have a right to question God to try to understand his ways. But we are finite, and he is not. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, he says this, talking for God, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Now, realistically, 
we have some pretty brilliant people, maybe even right here in this room. But as we look at different IQs and different intellects all over the world, there are some pretty sharp people out there. And they have some great questions, and their logic is impeccable at times. But even if we take the most brilliant, the greatest minds that our world has ever seen, they still are finite. And we don't sometimes like being limited, but we are. There are times that we wish that God would talk more. There are times that we wish that God would act differently. But there are times when in spite of the circumstances or situations, we need to trust God. We do. It's faith in our good, good Father that I go back to over and over and over again. As a pastor, I've been at places that are just unbelievably hard to understand. And there's been tears, and there's been mourning, and there's been agony. And yet I go back to, we have a good, good Father. We do. And I can't see it, and I don't see it. I think when I was younger, I would often be the know-it-all and be able to let people know exactly why certain things happened. But as I begin to experience life and more tears and more broken hearts and watch people's lives just be torn apart and be able to put them more in confidence in God rather than in confidence in understanding or answers. I think, actually, Jesus used this, knowing he was going to leave the planet soon, as a very valuable lesson as the disciples move forward in ministry and life. They are not going to always understand what's happening around them. But they will be able to trust their amazing God. Well, the second character I like to focus on is Jesus. Jesus. Well, I, I mean, are you getting more and more excited every time you learn about Jesus? The things he does, the way he acts, the joy that he brings, the surprises. You know, he came to open the eyes of the blind and to be light in a dark place. What a beautiful miracle. And what a beautiful way to be able to just use in a very practical way a man who has never, ever, ever seen anything. Absolutely a person that gropes around, only understanding some of the other senses, and to be able to open his eyes to what all of us take for granted. I love it that Jesus notices the underdog, the blind and the persecuted in this case. 
when maybe everybody else just walks by or everybody else flips him a coin or everyone else just says hi. Jesus notices this man. I love the compassionate heart of God. Because sometimes it only feels like, well, the important people are noticed. But more than that, Jesus corrects a poor understanding or a picture of God, both to the disciples and we're going to find out to the Pharisees. Is somehow we don't understand who God is, and one of Christ's purpose was to be born, live a life, and display for everyone that, well, is going to watch what God looks like. How God forgives, how God loves, how God teaches, how God responds. Yes, God is sovereign, which makes him really confusing at times. But the blindness was allowed to show God's power and authority. He knew that he would be able to make a huge statement be able to alleviate some pain, and to be able to encourage this individual who had never, ever seen. The blind man. Well, it's really hard calling him the blind man like all the way through this text because the blind man eventually does see. And so I'm just going to give him the name Bing. I think Bing is a great name for a blind man who now could see. But Bing listened and trusted Jesus, and it changed his life. Now, granted, he had had to have heard about Jesus, especially if he was near the temple or by the temple. He was blind, but he wasn't deaf. He had heard about this miracle man. He had heard about all the different things that Jesus had done. Remember, Jesus had been around for at least two and a half years. And so when it was his opportunity to meet Jesus and to, well, have Jesus do something very, very odd, out of the ordinary, he listened. He didn't have to listen. He could have got really offended. He could have wondered about, God, why are you spitting, making mud, putting this stuff on my eyes? Now, come on. I know you're powerful enough. Just say the word. I don't want this kind of crud on me. It's true. And why do I need to go to the pool? I mean, that's pretty far. Can't you just do Alakazam, boom, I can see, and let's just walk on from here. Don't always understand God's ways. But he spit in the dirt, and he made some mud pies, and he put it on his eyes. He listened to the king of kings, and the man was a brand new creation. He could not believe. Again, just try to picture the colors, the textures that this man saw for the very first time. He was a simple man. He was a man with a simple story and a message. I love it. It did not matter whether it's the neighbors, whether it's the Pharisees, no matter what. Hey, are you the blind dude? Yes, I am. What happened? 
I met this man, Jesus. He put mud on my eyes. I went and washed it off, and now I see. Oh, that's cool. That is amazing. And he tells the story over and over again. He never went to seminary. Never did. He never understood all of the theologies that were taught. But he knew this. I was blind. I met Jesus. Now I can see. How do you like them apples? Oh. But not only that, this healing gives courage and boldness. If there's one thing you're going to get in this text that Kent wrote, uh, read for us, is that there's extreme fear against this religious group called the Pharisees. Their whole life, at least in a Jewish family, would be around the synagogue. It would be critical not to be ostracized from it or to be tossed out of it. Because that's where community was. But these religious guys, they held, well, the membership cards. And so they feared. You either listened to them or it was yanked. And you would really be kind of destitute at that moment. But isn't it great how he just addresses the Pharisees? You know? He gets brought to them, first of all, the neighbors, and we're going to chat about them in a second. But they start questioning him. And he gives the same story. Met Jesus, touched me, and now I can see. And finally they keep pressing, and they keep pushing, and they keep trying to figure out this, because to the Pharisees, which we're going to get to, it didn't make any sense. But isn't it classic, this, this person who was just healed finally gets to a point where he's exasperated. And he looks at the Pharisees. Can, can you just even picture this? Hey, I met Jesus. My life has changed. I am a disciple. I'm going to follow this guy. I am. I like what he did. Are you want to be a disciple too? Oh, my word. Said that to the group of Pharisees. You know what's so cool? is that really, in the initial stages, he didn't believe. And again, we look at this and say, well, Jesus, why did you heal him? I mean, I thought you only healed those that believe in you. He doesn't. It's confusing. Why he chooses to heal some, why he chooses not to heal, I don't understand all those things. But this man was healed, he was given sight, and Jesus went back and sought him out. Because really, Jesus had a whole lot more up his sleeve than this guy understood. And he met him. And he introduced himself. And with the new sight and with this information, the scriptures tell us that this man believes. And John loves to talk about believing people. He talks all the way through all 21 chapters about believing in the Messiah. Because by the power of in his name, you are saved. The physical healing was astounding, but Jesus had a whole lot more planned for him. So he believed. 
And you know what a natural response after believing is? It's adoring God. It's worshiping. You know, sometimes I, I think, again, we look even at services or ministries. And what happens is that we sometimes think that worship is a warm-up. We somehow think that worship is, well, you know what, we got to have, you know, a 75-minute, 90-minute service, and, you know, we got to fill it up with something. I mean, you can't just pray and speak like forever, so you might as well just sing a little bit. Um, but worship is never a filler. It just isn't. It's God's people who are so enamored with who God is. It's when their eyes are finally opened and see how big and beautiful and gracious and loving our God is. And you fall to your knees and you just say, Lord, we love you. We're so grateful. You are so amazing. I deserve death. You gave me life. I deserved... And you can just put it in. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. You are worthy to be worshipped. And, and Bing knew it. Bing didn't get any lessons. I'm pretty sure, again, that maybe he didn't have an instrument. Maybe he started off in song. Maybe he was just kissing Jesus' feet. I don't know actually what, what happened, but there was adoration. Then there are neighbors. The neighbors in our story, I just have to ask this. Where is the joy I mean, maybe there was some joy, but if I read this text, if I saw little Bing growing up, and little Bing would be walking into fences, and little Bing, you know, he could not play soccer or baseball, or little Bing, you know, he'd always be filled with bumps and bruises, and, oh, little Bing, you know, I'm so sorry that you can't see. And he grows up. And eventually gets to a place where he's got to, well, support himself. And he starts begging. They see Bing. All right? He's walking around. I think he's doing a little bit of a shuffle. He's got a little dance going on. He's just kind of looking around like this and so amazed. And the neighbors notice him. He said, hey, doesn't that look like Bing? No, that can't be Bing. That guy's looking around. Look at him. He's dancing. He's singing. What's going on with Bing? Why wouldn't you go up and give him a hug? Why don't you look at him and say, hey, I'm Rick. I'm your neighbor. Look what I look like. Yeah. And you start grabbing them, and you start jumping up and down, and this is unbelievable. You couldn't see for how many years? Now you can see. I'm so happy for you. There's none of that. Isn't that odd? Instead, there's, oh boy, you got healed on the Sabbath? Let's take you. I'm going to take you to the religious dudes because I don't even know how to handle this, man. I'm going to get in trouble even if I'm your neighbor. How sad is that. Why wouldn't they want to meet Jesus? 
hey, why, take me to the guy, the guy that healed you. Take, take me to him. No, I'm going to take you to the Pharisees. What about the parents? The parents, unbelievable. They've reared Bing. They've seen Bing. And I don't sense there's joy there either. I sense there's fear. I sense, you know what, I can't get really excited about your sight, even though this is maybe the greatest thing that ever happened to you, because I'm just a little bit afraid of the authorities. How sad is that? That one of the greatest things in the world, they're just afraid. So let's go to these Pharisees. Let's talk about these Pharisees that really don't seem to bring a lot of joy. They seem to bring a lot of hurt and pain. I think basically they left their hearts at the door, picked up their religious robes, and began to judge instead of celebrate. So hard for us to fathom, so hard for us to understand that Jesus gives sight. And they don't get it at all. In fact, they're divided. The group gets together. They've heard about this. They see this. Well, you know, who heals blind guys? Well, definitely he really couldn't have been blind. Maybe this is just uh, some kind of a gimmick, some kind of a, uh, you know, a trick that Jesus did. Let's bring him in. And what they do is they say something that sounds really good. We want to give God glory for this. So quit lying, Bing. Tell us how this really happened. And that's where Bing starts smiling again. He goes, no way. I'm just telling you. I was blind. I met this man, Jesus. And now I see. How cool is that? And they come back, well, sinners can't do miracles like this. And you know what? In their context, they were so close. You're right. What they were really saying is, you know what? God's the only one that can do this. And we know Jesus isn't God. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) You don't get it? You, You don't get that Jesus is God? You've got all your rules and your regulations, all the walls, all the barriers. You've got no joy in your life. Do you understand what this Jesus does? You see, in these Pharisees' eyes, Jesus had broken the Sabbath, and that was the most important thing. Not because he violated any divine Sabbath regulations that were revealed in Scripture but because he ignored the restrictions and the extra-biblical applications that the rabbis put. For example, the Lord made mud with his saliva and some dust, which the rabbis would interpret violated the prohibition against kneading bread on the Sabbath. You had to do work making that mud pie, You had to squeeze that a little bit, and oh boy, you really disobeyed God in this one. You gotcha. The rabbinic regulations also forbade giving medical treatment on the Sabbath unless it was a life-threatening 
situation. So if you had a cough, you uh, couldn't take a cough drop. You couldn't. But if your cough was like because you had a spear in your chest, I think that is a life-threatening situation. Therefore, go ahead and give some aid. Nothing else really matters. How sad that these rules or regulations were there. You look at the way that Jesus provoked these Pharisees. And by this time, and especially if you've walked through some of these gospels, you say, why didn't Jesus just leave him alone? Why didn't Jesus just walk away? i got to tell you, I think the real reason is, is that Jesus wanted them to be part of the kingdom. I do. First and foremost, I think he provoked the Pharisees because it displayed his divine authority over the Sabbath, over everything. They didn't understand that. You see, Jesus ushered the kingdom in, and he came, when he came, to fix the broken. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He gave us a snapshot of what the kingdom will be. We know it's fuzzy right now. We know there are things, wow, that are not going to be here when God eventually comes back for his saints and restores the kingdom. But right now the kingdom is here. And those who are part of the kingdom are treating others differently. And because you are salt and light in this world, God's kingdom is advancing against the unbelievable evil hierarchy. But he also did this to demonstrate that such extra-biblical standards were unnecessary and oppressive burden on the people. By making a seventh day a wearisome one, governed by dozens of trivial, hair-splitting rules, the Jewish leaders had perverted God's design for this weekly day of rest and thanks to God. People were more worried about keeping the rules than having their souls nurtured and being able to praise their almighty God for his grace that he had given them that week. The religious leaders prided themselves on keeping the insignificant of their man-made legalistic Sabbath rules, while at the same time they ignored all the major ones. They corrupted the Sabbath, turning it from a day of glorifying God into a day that glorified them. It was an easy way to find out who's in and who's out. Who are the really religious ones? Who are the real God followers? Well, they're the ones that keep the Sabbath rules. Oh, as leaders, they were blind to who God was. And that broke God's heart. This was the arrogance that blinded them. And Jesus said it, or he saw it, and he just said it. You know what? There are tons of lessons from our John chapter 9 drama. 
But as we look at this, what a perfect metaphor to illustrate the plight of those living in darkness. It's you and me and every person born of a human father. We are all born spiritually blind. A legacy handed down through the generations of humanity. That's why this gospel is good news. That's why it brings joy and boldness and purpose. That's why when you recognize you were blind and Jesus touches you and gives you sight, it changes you forever. Let me ask just a few questions before I pray. Which one of these characters in John 9 grabs you? Are you like the disciples trying to just figure out who God is and the perplexities of life? Did you enjoy Jesus being able to touch the well, the disabled, in order to give that person a new lease on life, the under-resourced. Did you notice, like the neighbors did, and forget to experience joy when there's transformation, more worried about them, than a blind man who now is see. What about the parents? Living so much in fear that they can't enjoy God's blessings. Worrying about what others think and not basking in God's amazing grace. What about the Pharisees? Are we more worried about rules and regulations rather than the relationship that God has given us to enjoy? I love the boldness of our blind man who could see. It didn't matter. In fact, it cost him social standing. He was thrown out of the synagogue. He was basically banished because of his sight and because of his faith. It didn't matter. He loved it. There was nobody that he could not tell about his eyesight. Maybe some of us need a little bit of that to be reminded over and over again what God gave you because of your faith and because of his grace. The excitement, the boldness. I'm not going to shut up about anything. I was blind. I met Jesus, and now I see. Don't have to go to seminary for that. You can actually do that on the job site. You can do that in geometry. You can do that in the office. I was blind. I met Jesus, and now I see. That is the best news that I've ever received, and you can have it too. What is God talking to you about? And will you listen? Let's pray. Father, there's a lot going on in this chapter. There's so much happening. 
And yet, God, as we look at this story, there's so many things that, well, convict us or remind us or encourage us. Lord, would you use the story of John 9 in a new and a fresh way? We thank you for the perspective of who you are. Because, God, there are sometimes we just are blind. We are so self-focused. We are so concerned about our own needs. We forget all that you've done for us. Lord, some of us have forgot literally the joy of seeing. That no one would ever know that our lives are filled with joy by the way we act or the way we treat others. That, that, well, sight is taken for granted now. We've, we've had it for so long, it's not that special. Oh, it is, God. And God, for some of us who, well, can't even enter in the joy of transformation, we pray we would celebrate more. We do. We thank you, Father, even as some are considering being baptized and being able to share their sight stories. When everyone who goes into that tank would just say, I am blind. I was. I met Jesus, and now I see. What a great story. What a great reality. What a great reminder. And what a way to be able to help us understand how much you care and how much you love. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.